Welcome to Pedagogue Bonus, a short episode that covers a single topic or question. I'm your host, Shane Wood. This Pedagogue Bonus episode is in collaboration with the Big Rhetorical Podcast Carnival. The Big Rhetorical Podcast Carnival is comprised of a group of academic podcasters and rhetoricians and compositionists that are coming together around a singular theme. This year's theme is contending with misinformation in the community and the classroom. In this bonus episode, I talk with Jim Rodolfo. Jim Rodolfo is an associate professor of writing, rhetoric, and digital studies at the University of Kentucky and is currently director of composition. He holds a PhD from Michigan State University in rhetoric and writing, and his research focuses on the intersection of rhetorical theory and technology. He is an award-winning author, the author of four books, most recently, Ret Ops, Rhetoric and Information Warfare, co-edited with William Hart Davidson and published in 2019 by University of Pittsburgh Press. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. So I wanna talk about your book, Red Ops. And this book focuses on digital rhetoric and maybe even more specifically, the weaponization of digital rhetorics. So it looks at the effects of digital rhetoric and the consequences of misinformation. You write this in your introduction, and I want to spend our time answering and addressing these questions. You write, quote, How do we teach our students to be critical consumers and creators of weaponized social media? How do we teach undergraduates and graduates to spot and trace influence campaigns in real time? So your book goes on to explore these questions, and I was hoping we could spend time here addressing them and talking more about how our pedagogies, how we as writing teachers, how writing students, and how our writing classes ought to adapt and transform based on these digital realities and how we can contend with misinformation in the writing classroom. Thanks, Shane, for having me on. Um, I've been a big, huge fan of your podcast for a long time, and it's, it's really cool to, to be talking with you about this. Um, I'll, I'll start off um, by talking about sort of what we believe is a base assumption for the collection, uh, which is that increasingly our digital spaces are being used um, and weaponized in various ways, and that our students, our, our past students and our current students are, are likely already passive consumers of weaponized social media uh, and they may also knowingly or knowingly, in some cases, amplify that social media. Um, so one of the first things that that we would say we should start doing more of is getting students to identify that that's happening. And one of the ways that we think about this is happening more and more often um, in digital spaces is just based on the cost aspect. And that, that was, I think, the, the one point that, that Bill and I wanted to make in the introduction uh, of this collection is that weaponized social media is incredibly cheap. Um, especially in relationship to uh, analog counterparts of the past. Um, and because it's so cheap, it's happening more and more, and it's being deployed by more and more actors, whether it's state or non-state actors or individuals. Um, so one of the examples of that, and uh, I think one of the ways that we think about in our pedagogy to make students aware that this is happening is through looking at case examples. Um, and, and one that comes to mind um, is, is one you might've heard of it was the, during the 2020 campaign, um, somebody had domain squat on antifa.com uh, and had that at a certain moment in August uh, of 2020, begin to redirect to joebiden.com. Uh, and it's one of those, let's say, uh, operations, uh, if you will, that's really cheap. The actual domain squatting, if we were to think about it in terms of how long somebody was possibly squatting on that domain for, 
let's say if it's 10 years, we're looking at maybe 10 years of registration fees with, with network information or um, a, a, another registrar. Uh, that's maybe $100 or $200. But the effect of that, especially that, at that chirotic moment in the campaign, is um, this, this pseudo evidence that there's some kind of link between Joe Biden and Antifa um, that then uh, gets recast in all these different social media across, across different networks, whether it's uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, or, or anything else. Um, so the, the cost of that is so low, but the, 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 the ability to sort of like see that that's happening in real time and understand it, explain it to others is, is something that's difficult to do right now. Um, and it's one of those things that we need to be able to do more, more quickly in real time um, as, a, as a public, as many publics. Um, so that's kind of one of the examples. Um, another one that, that comes to mind is, is last week, um, the Biden administration was talking about uh, sort of the disproportionate impact of 12 different accounts on Facebook in terms of uh, the amplification of anti-vaccination anti rhetoric. You know, when you think about that, these 12 different accounts, how much does that actually cost? You know, if we were to think about those as campaigns that are funded campaigns, um, is it as much as uh, a fighter jet? Is it as much as uh, uh, some kind of ballistic missile? Um, these, are, these are much more cost-effective, unfortunately, things that could be done to, to sow uh, discord, uh, damage publics, damage countries, um, but they're happening more and more often. Um, and the burden of, of, of hindsight and, and the burden of proof, especially in things that are happening in real time, is, is a real problem. So um, in the class that I teach on rhetoric information warfare, one of the things that I try and walk through with students um, is to look at case examples like that, um, that are maybe recent or happening in real time, and to, to talk about them and look at them and, and track them. Um, Conspirator Natano on, uh, on Twitter is one, one account that tracks those in real time um, in terms of botnet influence and things like that on campaigns. So um, the, the media manipulation guide that MIT just put out has lots of different case examples too that you can walk students through. So that's one of the ways that I try to approach that. The last time I taught this class was, uh, was in spring of 2019. So I'm teaching it again in this coming spring. And, and what I try and do is I try and look at what's happening in terms of the, the current weekly events uh, and, and find things that are are happening that students can track in terms of, of hashtags or activity around a text um, that's that's in real time that we can then do sort of like report backs on class. So one one example that I used to use was I would look at you know the the, the current active editing history of Wikipedia pages in real time. Um, so you know we go from week to week and look at the activity of how a page is being acted upon in terms of the the edits and things like that by different actors. Um, so that's, that's an example of activity around the text um, in, in Wikipedia, but then we would take it to say, for example, one social media platform in particular, bracket that, and then look at what's happening in terms of the, the various um, patterns of activity and things like that. So that's where some of the data scientists um, come in handy. Um, Alexander Lockett just had a really good chapter in on, um, race rhetoric and research methods um, that talked about black Twitter. That might be a good reading to pair with that. Um, so there's all sorts of ways that we can sort of like take a, take a look at that. But what's changed for me is in 2006, when I was looking at um, comprehensive online document evaluation, uh, I did a piece in Kairos on that. Uh, I was looking at standalone servers and standalone websites, and I wasn't looking at proprietary social media networks and activity around them. So, you know, we were looking at Traceroute um, and looking at the location of servers, which is still useful. 
but that doesn't really get us to the full story of activity around text now, especially as they're mostly happening in closed box proprietary networks. Um, so, you know, there's some things that, that, have, that have become more important since then, like for example, DNS history databases, which are expensive to subscribe to, but really important in terms of researching the activity around domain name. Um, th that becomes more important. Uh, but then looking at the sort of specifics of, you know, like uh, Sophia Noble and algorithmic operations inside of networks becomes even more important um, than anything I talked about in 2006. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think that every 18 months we're sort of reassessing our relationship to digital techs uh, in different digital environments uh, in terms of authenticity and how we understand activity around them. So whatever I would say we should do right now in terms of pedagogical practice will probably be out of date in 18 months anyways.